Gather round, one and all, and listen to tales of excitement and adventure. Tales of daring heroes, savage monsters, and bards who just couldn't keep it in their pants. Tales of friendship, nobility, drunken foolishness, and unforgettable fun. These are tales of role-playing games, fair listeners, and this is Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your RPG treasure trove. I am your host and King of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and this evening, since I have just come back from that very event this past weekend, I'm going to be talking all about the fantastic time I had at my first ever North Texas RPG convention. Uh, now, now, for those of you who... Uh, weren't there, didn't go, uh, don't worry, this isn't just me gushing about the convention, there's going to be a little bit about that, uh, but there's also going to be some discussion about conventions in general, and some of the things that I find valuable about going to conventions. I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the cool people I met, and some of the uh, epiphanies and kind of inspirational moments that I had at the convention. Um... So yeah, we'll, we'll be talking a little bit about that, and then I'm going to kind of round things out with some discussion about some stuff that's coming up here on the channel. Uh, so yeah, that's what we're doing this evening. Very, uh, very loosey-goosey, talking a lot about this trip, and a little bit about what it inspired and what's going to be coming from me uh, due to some of those inspirational moments that I had uh, there in Irving, Texas, at the Westin. So, first and foremost, uh, I have to start by thanking the people who ran the games that I played in. I ran a game myself. Uh, I probably should have run more games. Um, someone jokingly accused me of freeloading because they thought I wasn't running any games. Uh, but, you know, I, I did run one session of Deadlands. Uh, but I could have done more. I definitely could have done more. Next time I will do more. Um, but, you know, obviously, the the only way that RPG conventions work is, you know, people volunteering their time to play in, or to, to run these games, to, to, you know, have something for people to do at the convention. So, first and foremost, uh, the first game I played in was Thursday afternoon. Uh, you know, I need to thank Ian McGarty uh, for GMing the uh, excursion to the Koshi Jungle, which is set in uh, the, the same setting as Skeeter Green's Crypt of the Science Wizard. We'll get to that in just a little bit. This game was a ton of fun. Uh, Ian was great. Uh, more on Ian later, because he really... Uh, you know, he, he took some time to talk with me and, and help me kind of get an understanding of a few things that'll be pertinent moving forward. Um, but, you know, Ian did a great job with this game. It was a ton of fun. Uh, 
it, it was just a it was a great interesting game this was run in mutant crawl classic uh, which is a variation on Dungeon Crawl Classic. When Jim Wampler was on the show, we talked a lot about Mutant Crawl Classic. Great game, great system, tons of fun. Really enjoyed that one. And next up, I have to thank James Shields, a.k.a. Jay Shields. Um, he ran a uh, Star Wars D6 game. Um, I, I don't remember what this one was called. I think it was called Crumbling Hope. But the basic premise of this, and I hope I'm not uh, giving too much away here, uh, talking about kind of the, the premise behind this game. I, I, I don't know. I, the, the premise here was we were rebels who were captured and... Uh, held on an Imperial Star Destroyer. This was using the Star Wars D6 system. Um, which is a great system, by the way. This is the first time I got to play Star Wars D6. Great time. Amazing system. Uh, it, it honestly gives Saga Edition a run for its money as far as Star Wars systems goes. Um, and, and the books are more readily available than Saga Edition, so if you're looking to run a Star Wars game... Um, I've talked about this before, but my first recommendation pretty much has to be Star Wars D6 because you can get the books. Uh, they're still in print. Fantasy Flight Games has been good about keeping that stuff in print. Uh, so you can get it like on Amazon for $40, and uh, it's a nice big hardback book. But anyway, the basic premise was we were escaping from uh, the, the prison or the, the cells on the Star Destroyer, which is being actively bombarded by the Rebel Alliance. And essentially, the Empire had uh, xenomorphs on the ship, basically. Uh, they weren't actually xenomorphs, but, you know, they, you know, close enough. Um, you know, they had these alien eggs that they were going to drop on planets. And, you know, these, uh, the, the eggs would hatch and, and Xenos would, would come, Xenomorphs would come out of them and, and kill things. So it was Star Wars, but we got to fight Xenomorphs. Uh, I played a character who, uh, his sheet said failed Jedi. Uh, so I envisioned him as a, and also the way his stats worked out, he was like just barely force sensitive. Mostly he was just good with a lightsaber. Um... And I, I got the great moment of uh, getting to fight an ATST as a Jedi with my lightsaber. That was fun. That was amazing. I could have died, but, you know, I didn't. I did not die. I only died in one of these games. And, boy, I will tell you that story. But, but James Shields did a great job with that. Uh, it was great to meet him. He's a fantastic artist. You you'll see his work in in Levi Combs stuff. Uh, so it was it was great to you know talk to talk to him and and get to know him and and be in a game that he was running. Uh, then the next day, Friday, uh, we're gonna start with my game because there's a few people I need to to thank here. Uh, my players, you guys were great. Uh, Larry White, listener of the show, the only person besides people who had been interviewed on the show 
who came up to me and was like, hey, I listened to your show. I really like it. That was cool. So, Larry, thank you for that. It was great to meet you, and, you know, I was, I was glad to be able to run a game for you. I did get a few people to uh, download the show, so anyone who met me at North Texas RPG Con, uh, hey, thanks for listening, and uh, I had a great time hanging out with you. Hit me up in the comments uh, here on Twitch or over email. Uh, just, you know, let me know if you got turned on to me because of... Uh, North Texas RPG Con. But, you know, I, I want to thank my players in that game for, uh, you know, for being awesome. So, uh, you know, Larry, thank you. Uh, Scott, thank you for uh, for playing in the game. Uh, Michael, thank you for, uh, for showing up and playing. Uh, Michael brought a... Or not Michael. No, it was Michael. Michael brought a friend with him. Uh, who was not on the list, but I had a couple players no-show, so he got to play. And uh, Dave, thank you for playing as well. Uh, Dave and Scott kind of were, were hanging out together. I think they uh, like came to the convention together, so uh, it, was, it was cool to hang out with all you guys. I really enjoyed it. Uh, a couple players no-showed, but you know it, that happens at every convention. We'll talk about that in, in just a little bit. But uh, just just to talk a little bit more about the session that I ran, it was uh, Deadlands: The Hell to Memphis Express. And this was a uh, oh hey, what's up? Thanks for uh, thanks for dropping in. I, Index card was fun, and we'll be talking about that in just a little bit. But yeah, the uh, the Deadlands session that I ran was called the Hell to Memphis Express. Uh, this was something that I came up with. And the basic premise was the game started at Fort 51, uh, which is the Area 51 of the Deadlands universe. And the posse had been hired by a uh, kind of a shady doctor named Dr. H. Lonsdale Pettibone to take this train, and I, I never actually mentioned the name of the train. The train was called the Dispatcher, the Midnight Dispatcher. And it was going all the way to Memphis, hence hell to Memphis. And it was basically no questions asked. You were going to guard this train with your lives. Don't ask what's on it. I won't tell you. And some of the players were... Uh, Larry was actually a Texas Ranger, and then Michael, I believe, was a, uh, a U.S. agent. And so they were tasked by their superiors to figure out what was on the train. And from there, uh, they were to rendezvous in Denver, because Denver was the big stop for the train, and you know report back what they had found. Uh, well, the train made it to Denver, but they did not... Uh, they did not maintain their cover all the way to Denver because they found out uh, that the machine they were carrying was basically a harrowed-creating machine. Uh, it, was, it was called the Life Engine, and it was created by Thomas Edison at the behest of a secret society uh, who called themselves the Society Men. No one picked up on this, but they were funded by J.P. Morgan, And basically, they kind of, sort of, had created Harrowed, 
but they had created very deformed, uh, like Mr. Hyde from League of Extraordinary Gentlemen harrowed. And then they created this monstrosity called a Glom, which you can find in the Deadlands uh, Weird West handbook, which is basically a whole bunch of zombies, like human centipeded together in a giant blob of body horror. And uh, it's freaky. It was fun. They fought that, and then they also fought Dr. Pettibone piloting a uh, basically an automaton body. Uh, so like a steampunk android, basically. So they had fun, and they really enjoyed it, I, I think. I hope. Let me know if you guys really enjoyed it. Well, they, they told me they did. So I will take their words for it, and hope they weren't just being polite. So from there, uh, we get to Intrigue and El Tabar. This one was run by Alex Kamer, and it is a uh, it was a playtest for something that's forthcoming uh, that Alex is working on, which is kind of a new supplement for Thay in the Forgotten Realms. Um, ton of fun. This one was more roleplay heavy. It was run in 5th edition. And it, it was a really interesting and fun adventure. Um, the only game I played in where there was not a single uh, initiative role or combat, it was all roleplay, it was all social encounters, but it was still interesting. It was still interesting, still a lot of fun. Uh, Alex did a great job with it, and I'm really excited to see kind of what the final product looks like for that particular uh, that particular book. Uh, he showed us some of the maps that had already been done for the supplement, and it was, you know, it looked great. It was really cool. Uh, super exciting. Super exciting to see that. And then, of course... Uh, my Friday night ended with a great game, a, a really fun time, uh, which has already been alluded to here in chat by Azora, uh, Index Card D&D. I signed up for this thinking it was Hanker and Fernell's Index Card RPG run with D&D. I did not read the description very well, that's on me, but it was a great time nonetheless. It was... a I, I actually really enjoyed uh, Index Card D&D. It was... It, it, it was a very interesting experience because it was run by... Uh, or hosted, rather, by Jackson Bittner. Um, one of the few people I encountered at the convention who was near my age. I was very young at, at the convention. I, I noticed that I kind of brought the average age down significantly uh, just by being 25. Now, Skeeter Green's kids were there, and uh, Casey Christofferson's kids were there too, so, you know, they brought it down even more. But, you know, I, I was definitely, especially amongst the GMs, one of the younger ones. Uh, so it was cool to, you know, be in there with some people who were around my age. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about kind of the age discrepancy in role-playing games here in just a little bit, because uh, I, you know, I have thoughts on this and, and really want to talk about it. But Index Card D&D, the, the group was a mix of uh, super old schoolers, uh, like Paul Elkman was in there, uh, who's 
very, very old school uh, GM. But the the game itself was basically here's a stack of index cards. We're gonna you know each create a character, monsters, magic items, rooms, and traps, and then we're gonna shuffle them up, and we're just gonna draw. And, you know, whatever whatever happens from there, you know, whatever character you get, the characters are randomly assigned to. Uh, the, the one sheet that we got on the rules basically said you're, you're designing your character, and you can put whatever you want on there, but you're designing a character for someone else. So if you're making uh, the power equivalent of, like, a 20th level 5th edition paladin, which is the most ridiculously stupid powerful thing on the face of the planet, just know you're not going to get to play that character. Someone else is. And there were a lot of... It, I mean, it was jokey. It was fun. I created a monster called the Bee Holder, which was a beholder wearing a beekeeper's helmet with the, the mesh over it. And instead of eye stalks, it had hive stalks. Each of its stalks was holding a different hive, and it would throw these hives at you. I made this thing way more powerful than I should have. It had too many hit points. Uh, it, the damage was right around where it should have been, but it just had way too many hit points because we encountered it super early on. It's kind of like Munchkin in that you shuffle up the deck and, you know, you, you draw randomly. So whatever you encounter, uh, that's what you encounter. And so we had to add, like, a runaway mechanic for a couple monsters... But still, it, it was a great time. Uh, Jackson brought some Arkansas beers, which were fantastic. Uh, you know, it, it was great. It was, you know, I was offered beer, which was nice. I was offered beer for free, which was nice. There are a number of uh, ideas that I took from all of these convention games that I'm going to steal. That's, that's near the top of the list having beer for my players. Although if I'm running morning games like I usually am, I don't know if, you know, hey guys, it's 9 o'clock, who wants a beer? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But anyway, that was a ton of fun. Uh, you know, Azara, I really enjoyed meeting you there and, you know, meeting everyone in the group. Uh Again, it was it was just a ton of fun and, and a, a great experience. Uh, shout out to Todd Sharp, by the way, uh, in the group who you know talked with me for a good long time and gave me a uh, gave me a coupon for Top Golf. That was cool. Thanks, man. That thank you. I thank you sincerely. See, Elfie, you are uh, you're, you're putting a lot of complications into this. The thing about bringing beer to an RPG is it's in a cooler. You pass them out. You pop a top with a mimosa, a screwdriver, a Bloody Mary. You have to like mix drinks, and there's only so much table space. So it's a great idea. It's a little tough to pull off at a convention. 
Whereas beer, you stick it in the cooler. There you go. I mean, I had... Back when I was doing Danishes and Dragons, uh, the idea for what that was actually came from an idea that I had for a convention game where you run it at 9 in the morning, but you also have breakfast there. And you call it Biscuits and Beholders. Because... In my mind, I was making biscuits for the players, but then I was like, the logistics of me making biscuits at a convention for all these players, it would have to happen basically in Nashville, or it, I wouldn't be able to pull it off, because I, uh, I can't bake anything in a hotel kitchen. I've never stayed in a hotel, like an actual hotel, that had an oven. So, yeah, that's... At the window, I'd basically have to go like to McDonald's or you know Bojangles if it were around and get people breakfast. Which I mean, yeah, people would appreciate it, but it's not the same as here. I made you breakfast, and we're going to have an adventure now. So biscuits and beholders. I'm going to put that one on ice, uh, and and you know think about how to approach that in the future. Think about different ways to make that one work. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed myself. So, uh, you know, everyone who, uh, you know, I met at that particular game, you guys rocked. That was a ton of fun. Um, I ended up playing in a uh, Swords and Wizardry game on Saturday morning. The game I was supposed to play in, Quest for Law in the Lands of Chaos, uh, that one ended up canceled. Uh, the, the GM had a family emergency, uh, didn't ask for details, didn't, you know, didn't want to pry, he just couldn't make it. So I ended up in a game of Swords and Wizardry that was run by Montana Squires. So Montana, if you hear this, thank you so much for letting me jump in that game. It, again, it was a ton of fun. Um, I'm sorry, I was a bit slap happy. That kind of happened to me all throughout Saturday because... That was the peak of me not eating as often as I should, not getting as much sleep as I should, and probably drinking too much coffee. So, uh, yeah. I'm sorry if I was a little bit slap happy, but I had a great time. Seemed like everyone else had a great time, so yeah, that... Thank you again for that. And then the last game I played in uh, was Crypt of the Science Wizard Level 2, which Skeeter talked about on the show... Um, he promised up front this was going to be a TPK, and it was. It was a wipe. Uh, we got our asses handed to us, and most of it was my fault. This is the the best story to come out of the convention from my side, in my opinion, was this TPK that was mostly my my fault. And no, Elfie, not every con game ends in a TPK. It's actually generally, I don't want to say it's generally considered bad form, but convention games, you're there to either have fun or playtest, uh, you know, someone else's material. If you're playtesting and you get TPK'd, that's just kind of a learning experience for the designer and for the players. Um, but generally, you know, it, it's not about how badly can I kill these players. It's generally, you know, 
how do I maximize the enjoyment of this game with the time allotted to me? That's generally what, what convention games are all about, is, you know, how, how do I maximize the fun of everyone at this table? And it's especially challenging because, you know, how do you maximize the fun of people you don't know? So that's kind of the, the key there. Uh, but Skeeter promised up front this would be a, a wipe. This would be a TPK. And what ended up happening was we go into uh, this hallway. It's just, it's a, he described it as like a plastic hallway where there's clearly walls, a ceiling, and a floor, but there's not seams that distinguish them from each other. There's no light source, but the place seems to be illuminated. And there's a black semicircle eye-in-the-sky camera up, you know, above us on the ceiling. And then there's another one further down the hall and two double doors at the end of the hall. So we walk down the hallway and immediately uh, these octopuses, octopi, fall from the ceiling and land right in front of us. And we didn't see them because they were camouflaged because they're octopi, which was pointed out by uh, Corwin Getty at the table. Uh, he was the he was the smart one who figured it out. By this point, I was completely slap happy, uh, but you know, also, I'm I'm not as smart as I like to think I am. So, there's that. Anyway, these octopi attack us, and they can take a fair amount of punishment, but. They also have this mucus that when they slap you with their tentacles, you have to like make a strength or not a strength save. It was a it was a dungeon crawl classic, mutant crawl classic. So it was a uh, fortitude, yeah, fortitude save. And I passed all of them except for one. I failed one fortitude save, and my character went berserk. It was like, Skeeter described me at various points as like, you know, a drunk frat boy in the middle of a battle. Um, yeah, I, I was, I was feeling the thunder and I was ready to kill everything. So I, I got a plus two bonus to damage, uh, but there like nothing was going to stop me from just wrecking shop. So we kill the squids, and then I run forward into the next room, uh, rush headlong in the wind without any regard for my companions. I run into the next room, and what I see there is this big hallway. It's, you know, the, the ceiling's 40 feet high. And off to the left is a door. There's actually two doors. There's a set of double doors and then, like, a regular normal door. And then over to the right there's what was basically described to me as Galactus. Uh, this this 40-foot-tall, human-looking thing. Skeeter showed me the picture of the art that's going to be in uh, you know the next level of Crypt of the Science Wizard. And, you know, it's, it's basically a Jack Kirby creation, and he's standing there, you know, pulling levers, manipulating consoles, all that stuff, uh, paying me no attention. And so I say to Skeeter, do I want to attack this thing? And Skeeter says, oh, yes, you do. 
So again, I rush headlong at basically Galactus and I take a swing at him. At this point, the rest of the party enters, you know, at the table, they know what I'm doing. Uh, but the rest of the party enters and they at first are trying to stop me. Uh, one of the one of the players had these two ape companions that he had summoned, and so he sends them to uh, like tackle me to the ground and keep me from alerting this titan to my existence and and you know relieving me of my life force. So the apes grapple me, but because this is mutant crawl classics, my character has a stun glove. So I zap the ape. I shock the monkey tonight. And that ape goes down. And I break away from the other one. And I run back over there. And I dealt, over the course of two turns, 35 damage to this thing. Uh, Skeeter told us at the end that he had 120 hit points. So, you know, by myself, I dealt a quarter of, uh, of his hit points worth of damage to him. But I'm attacking, like, his ankle. And then, uh, you know, because he's 40 feet tall, my character's maybe six feet tall, I start climbing on him, like, uh, uh, that Team Ico game. Why did I just forget the name of it? Uh, Shadow of the Colossus. That's what it is. Like, Shadow of the Colossus. I start climbing this thing, and I'm slashing at his knees. Like, slashing at the, the, uh, tendons in his knee. And so this thing gets mad at me. And the first first time he, you know, Skeeter describes him as just like manipulating dials, not really paying attention. Uh, but one of the characters who is playing a cleric uses a feature from Dungeon Crawl Classics, which I have right here, uh, to call upon his deity. And, uh, you know, he, he burns through a whole bunch of resources because in Dungeon Crawl Classics... You can, as a spellcaster, burn through physical stats and also burn through your luck stat to boost the results of your spell. You have to roll a d20 every time you cast a spell. And then there's a table you consult to see what your result means. So if I'm casting, let's say, Magic Missile, I rolled a 17. And from what I heard, I didn't play a spellcaster, but from what I heard... 17 by itself, I'd be doing kind of, you know, moderate damage. If I spent some of my luck score, let's say I put five points from my luck score into that, I'd be dealing pretty serious damage. So the cleric did this with his invoke patron. I think it was a cleric. Was he a cleric? No, he was an elf. That's what he was. He was an elf. That's what he was playing. Because elf is a class in DCC. We'll talk about that at a later date, but I'll talk a little bit about it today. So he's playing an elf, and he, he invoked his patron and burned a whole bunch of uh, physical points. Basically, this guy was, like, cutting himself and, you know, like, cutting off his ear and, uh, you know, burning through a whole bunch of uh, stats and, and, like, physical strength to get his god to make it so that we couldn't die for a certain number of rounds. We can only take one damage 
each round for a certain amount of rounds, and we had a plus five to every attack and uh, skill check for a number of rounds. So I'm using this to deal a bunch of damage to this titan. But Skeeter describes the titan as just kind of ignoring us, you know, manipulating the dials. And the, the funny thing about Skeeter, he, like, acted it out. So he, he went over to a wall and pretended to be, you know, manipulating dials, really to, to give us a good image. And he says that when the Invoke Patron happened, the Titan, essentially Galactus again, a Watu the Watcher, uh, you know, if, if we want to go to DC Comics, the Monitor, the Anti-Monitor... This thing standing there, you know, doing its thing, manipulating the dials, pulling the levers, all that. The elf invokes patron, and because of the result he gets, this thing goes and looks over at us, acknowledging us for the first time. Then I start dealing damage to it. The Titan attacks with his fist. Skeeter rolls a one. The Titan misses me. I live to fight another round. Eventually, after I had dealt 30 damage, basically a quarter of his health, the Titan got me and reduced me to jelly. I still couldn't die, though. Uh, the, that round had not passed, so I was alive, but I was a pile of goop. Couldn't do anything, couldn't say anything. Could barely see what was happening, just, you know, I, I was sentient smucker's jelly, as Skeeter said, <laughs> lying on the ground there. And the party, you know, they, they kicked off a couple other things. I don't want to get too much into spoilers for this, because it's a forthcoming module and I want you guys to all pick it up. Uh, but it was pretty fantastic. There was some great stuff that happened, uh, you know, like paper things coming to life. Uh, giant squids, all kinds of cool stuff. But I got wiped by a titan. And the party trying to stop me from doing this led to everyone getting killed. We were the only group to trigger all three possible monsters that you could trigger in that area. <laughs> and I had a blast just being... Be Narratively speaking, because of how uh, the, the the dice rolled, be getting to indulge my murder hobo side. Getting to, you know, just... I see a big thing, I want to kill it. Uh, you know, screw everyone else. That It was a nice little, you know, feed your id moment. So that was a ton of fun. Uh, thank you to Skeeter for running that. Um... And again, just, you know, once again, thank you to everyone who ran games. Uh, you guys were great. Everyone in the dealer's room was great. My game was actually run in the dealer's room. So some of the dealers were, like, involved in, in what was going on in my game and, and were super invested in, in how it turned out. So, you know, everyone who, you know, said anything to me, thank you. Uh, one guy, I, I was wearing a Rush shirt one day, and one guy commented on it. So, you know, thanks. Thanks, fella actually bought this book from him, so, you know, I got to, got to buy something from someone who commented on my Rush shirt, but yeah, I mean, 
it, it was a again it was a ton of fun this is my first time in texas uh texas is great there's lots of great food Part eight barbecue in Coppell, Texas. That's where it's at. Uh, the Irving Diner in Irving, Texas. Also where it's at. Uh, you know, next year I'm definitely going to hit up both of those places. I'm super excited to go back. Uh, but let's talk a little bit here at the end about, you know, some of what I gathered from the convention. Um, first and foremost... It is extremely valuable to be able to play in these games with people who you don't normally interact with, especially from a GM's perspective. Um, Forever GMs, if you get the chance to play in a game, uh, you know, pay special attention to what the GM is doing. Because I got so many ideas from all of these GMs. The, the biggest one I got, uh, the, or the biggest ones that I got, were from James Shields in the Star Wars game. Because he had this cool mechanic that he, I guess, does in all of his games where instead of, you know, working through people's backstories and all that, because it's a convention game, he didn't want us to all be strangers. He wanted us to all have a relationship with each other. So he had this bag, this blind bag of little scraps of paper. They looked like fortune cookies, or fortunes from fortune cookies. And you pull out three, uh, you put one back, and then you take the other two and you hand them to the person to the left of you. Uh... And what these things say is there are little tidbits, like one sentence, about your relationship with that person. And it was stuff like, you two were in prison together, which was what me and the guy sitting next to me, uh, that, that was our, our connection, was that we'd been in prison together. Uh, there was one that said, you know, you broke my heart. Uh, there was one that said, I ignore everything you say. Um, and then there was a great one that the guy across the table from me, his character had this relationship with my character, um, and that was, I vomited on you once. And his character was, it said, tongue-tied engineer at the top of his character sheet. So it, it really, it really, uh, fit with the theme that he'd been given there, um, and it, it was hilarious. And it was a great idea, and it's a great little thing where, you know, if your players don't necessarily... Even if you're running, like, a regular campaign, your players don't necessarily have ideas for how their characters know each other. Just pass that out during session zero. You know, you, you pull three. It, you take one that you're just like, no, not this one. Put it back in the bag. Hand the other two to the person to the left of you. That's your relationship with that player. And then in a in a campaign, uh, that can create a whole story arc. That can create a whole hook for you know players to interact with each other and get to know their characters. Where you know you don't know everything about this character because uh, you're still finding things out, but you do know enough 
to where this happened, or you had this relationship before everything kicked off here. That was cool. And he also had a bag full of just kind of minor character quirks. Sorry, my nose itches. And he had us pull one from there. Actually, I think he had us pull two and then put one back. So, you know, that that was a cool idea that I'm definitely stealing for future campaigns and future convention games. Um, so yeah, James, thank you for, for that cool idea. But you learn lots of little tips and tricks. You learn how different GMs handle different situations. And you learn what different game styles look like. Uh, and it gives you newfound clarity on how to run things moving forward. And how to change your game. How to improve your game. How to make your game different. The other thing you get to do when you play games is try new systems. Convention games are largely designed for people who don't know how to play the systems that they're playing in. They're largely there for people to try new things. And for game designers to work out kind of new modules, adventures, all that stuff. Trying new things is why I bought this big heavy book that I'm going to be reviewing at some point. Dungeon Crawl Classics. This is a fantastic game. I love this thing. And I will do an entire episode on why. And it also got me to buy these Dungeon Crawl Classics dice because this game uses funky dice. I now own a D30. I now own a D3, which looks like a D6, but it only has one, two, and three on it. This is a D24. These weird, funky dice are instrumental, essential to Dungeon Crawl Classics. So you have to buy both. It's ingenious, really, the, the way that you... <laughs> yeah, you, you can't do one without the other. You don't necessarily need those. Uh, you know, you, they do list in the book how you can get by without them. Um, you know, but they... They also just so happen to sell the convenient package with the D30, and I mean, like it has it has a D it has a D3 in it, which is more useful than you might think. It has a D5 in it, so you know why not get the cool thing? And I just noticed this before we went on the air today. It has this little uh, monster card in it. I thought this was just art. No, this is a. Uh, this is a Hellcat. It's a monster. It's got stats on the back. I just bought them because they were red. I could have bought the green ones. And it might have come with it. Actually, it did come with a different monster. But I wanted to get the red ones. So I got the Hellcat. Pretty awesome. And I also... That was loud. And... It, you know, I got to I got to be introduced to index card D and D, which uh, you know Jackson made up. Jackson and a friend made up. Uh, it, it was just you know someone's cool, fun kind of you know let's kill some time game uh, that they ran, and you know had a great I had a great time with it. I really loved it, 
and, you know, I've got the rules in my bag over here. Uh, so I could break that out, you know, next time I'm at my family's house. And just be like, let's get some index cards, and I'll show you guys how to play this game. I could bring some dice. Uh, you know, it's all kinds of cool stuff like that. That's what you learn from playing role-playing games at role-playing game conventions. And you also get to talk to and learn from older DMs. I mentioned earlier the kind of huge age gap between me and almost everyone I ran into. Uh, I thought that was a pretty valuable thing, actually. Being able to meet and talk to and play with experienced players. I had a, I think about a half hour conversation uh, with a woman named Lee. Uh, she was an older woman. I don't know exactly how old. I'm not going to guess because I don't want Lee to hear this and then try to kill me. But she had been playing D&D since 1976. She had been GMing since 1981, I believe. And she told me all about the way that she runs games. It was, you know, it was Thursday. I didn't have anything going on. I was just sitting at a table. She was setting up for a game that was coming. And we just started talking. And she just started telling me about, you know, the way that she runs games, her philosophy on things. She's she's a talker. But it was a great conversation because I got to hear all of, you know, this experienced gamers stories. And I got to, you know, take things away from that conversation. And so hearing people talk about, you know, these uh, these gaming conventions or, the you know, the games that they played and, you know, hearing about all their experiences, uh, it's really valuable. So what I'm saying is to, to people my age, they're intimidating, they're grumpy, sometimes they smell bad, uh, and sometimes they're a little odd. But don't be afraid of grognards. Don't be afraid of older gamers. Generally, they're very nice, salt-of-the-earth people. Um, you know, they're a little crusty, but who isn't at the age that some of them are at, you know? Think of it like you're talking to your gaming grandparent or your gaming parent, because I don't want to say that everyone's you know, like grandparent age. Some of them are, but you know that you get the chance to talk to someone who's seen it all in role playing. They remember when you know O D and D was first coming out. They, you know, they remember. When someone who had played in Dave Arneson's basement taught them randomly at some event how to play this newfangled, uh, you know, role-playing game. Or they remember running into Gary Gygax at one of the early Gen Cons and, and learning about, you know, gaming. You get to hear from these people who have gone from that to what we have today and they've played it all so they you know they have perspective on things they have very defined opinions on how all that stuff works and you know what they like what they don't like listen to those people 
play in games that they're running if you can. Even if you don't like the idea of, you know, old school OD&D or Swords and Wizardry or Dungeon Crawl Classics where your stats were rolled 3d6 in order and you've only got, you know, if you're lucky, 15 hit points because, you know, usually convention games are run at level two or three. Um, you know, you, you you don't have many hit points, you don't have many attacks. If you're a spellcaster, you've got maybe two or three spells, and then you're done. Except in Dungeon Crawl Classics, but again, that different video. We'll talk about that some other time. But still, you know, get that experience from people, and and. Hear about, you know, what happened at their table. You know, take take that time. Take that time to find out what your elders in gaming experienced. What can you take from that? What can you, you know, pull from their experience? And how do you make your games better so that, you know, when you are that experienced gamer, if you stick around this hobby long enough, uh, you know, you either, you either leave the hobby or stay long enough to see yourself become a grognard, uh... You know, once you're there, you uh, you've got some perspective, and you can you can think back. You know, when you're talking to a younger gamer, you can think back to when the situation was reversed, and offer them some of that old wisdom that has carried over with you. So yeah, that's you know the the value of convention games is getting to play with new people. Uh, getting to try new systems and getting to learn from more experienced gamers. Uh, I have no doubt now that my Gygax number is in the single digits, probably the the like low single digits. I don't know, you know, who played with who, but I I get the feeling that from a couple of the people in some of my games, my Gygax number is like one, two, maybe three. So yeah, there's that. Now, as we're wrapping up here, uh, you know, kind of getting towards the end of our time, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, I want to give some special thanks to people that I met for the first time in person, um, you know, who, who've been on the show before and, and took the time to hang out with me and talk with me. So uh, first and foremost, uh, I've already thanked him, but Skeeter Green, uh, you know, thanks for letting me hang out at the booth and, you know, you know, talking with you and, uh, you know, playing in your game. It was tons of fun. Uh, Zach Glazer, we didn't get the chance to talk, but I saw you around a lot and, uh, you know, it was cool to see you out and about cool to see you in your element look forward to, you know, slinging some dice with you at some point. Levi Combs. Of course I have to thank Levi. Levi, uh, Levi has, you know, been a fantastic supporter of this show, of me specifically, not just of the show, but of me uh, in particular. So getting the chance to hang out with him in person, talk about gaming, talk about publishing, and, you know, actually have a real conversation, that was, that was a great opportunity. I really enjoyed getting to spend some time with Levi. Um, 
let's see, who else did I run into? I saw Matt Finch, didn't get to talk to him, uh, but he was there. And I think as far... Oh, Casey. Casey Christofferson. Um, we had a great conversation where for the... I, for three quarters of the conversation, Casey didn't know who I was. Or didn't remember who I was. Because uh, we were talking. I just, like, I approached him and started talking to him like, you know, he was an old friend. And so I'm just like, hey, Casey, how you doing? And, you know, just, you know, like, talking about artwork and stuff. And... To his credit, he was a good sport. He was just, you know, kind of rolling with the punches. And just pretending like he knew me. I could see in his eyes, he was like, I have no idea who this guy is. Oh, hey! Gabertarians in the house! i talk about you guys in just a little bit. They were not in North Texas, but I'm gonna... Got some stuff to talk about with them. While, you, while you're here, uh, did you get my email? My email uh, with the Page Brothers. Did you guys see that? Just want to check. Future projects. But anyway, Casey and I had this conversation, and he could tell, uh, or I could tell that he had no idea who I was. So uh, he was, uh, you know, humoring me. He was humoring me very greatly. And uh, then at some point, he's looking at my name tag, He's like, wait, wait a minute, We're, wait. And he holds up my name tag and he's like, oh, Ryan. And I was like, yeah, man, <laughs> we, we've been talking like this whole time. I was like, yeah, yeah, it's me. How you doing? And his wife and daughter were there too. And he's like, this is Ryan from Rolling Bones. I didn't remember who he was because we were both drinking. It was, it was hilarious. But Casey's a great guy. Uh, you know, I, I was on my way out. He invited me to sit in one of his games, but I had to leave because I had to be back early. Uh, so next time, I definitely want to get in on a Casey Christofferson game. Uh, hopefully, I'll be able to do that sooner rather than later. Because Casey's a great guy, and I'm going to be, you know, talking to him soon I'd love to have him back on the show as well, but I'm going to be talking to him soon about some other stuff, uh, some other projects that I'm working on. Um, but yeah, talking to him was great. And of course, uh, you know, Ed Bickford was there. Uh, this was his first time at North Texas RPG Con. I think, if I'm not mistaken, and he'll, you know, he'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this was his first time as an RPG artist at a convention. It's his first time not being like a comic book guy. And he was there. Uh, he was great. He had some great original art. I really wanted to... Uh, he, he did this cover for... Uh, you know, he did this cover for like an RPG... Not an RPG, a sci-fi zine of two spacemen hiding behind a rock, kind of like the castle Wolfenstein uh, or Wolfenstein 3D... Uh, cover art. They were hiding behind this uh, this rock, and they had like laser guns, and there were aliens coming up in the distance. And I saw that, and I was like, I, I want to buy that original art piece. And then he was talking just offhand to Levi about what he was charging for his original art, and I was just like, oh, I'm not gonna insult, I'm not gonna insult Ed. I'm not gonna waste his time. Uh, 
I'll just I'm gonna I'm gonna close that and and try not to damage it. So you know, because I, I I can't be dropping that kind of money. <laughs> can't can't be spending money like that. Not not right now. <laughs> oh my god. But no, it it was great to see him and and Ed. You know, I I love his stuff. He's a super nice guy. We talked about wrestling for like 45 minutes. It was fantastic. I, I didn't know he was a wrestling fan. Uh, so we just... Uh, oh, we, we talked about wrestling, and, and that was tons of fun. And Levi humored us the whole time. It was great. <laughs> but yeah, that, that was great. And if I left anyone out, I'm sure they'll let me know. Uh, but, you know, once again, I do have to give, uh, you know, some thanks to, to Ian McGarty... Uh, for another reason. He had like a 10, 15 minute conversation with me about publishing. Because I, I've talked around this a little bit, but I've fully decided I am going to publish an RPG module. I'm going to put out a setting book. And hopefully from that setting book, I am going to put out adventures. I have all kinds of ideas about RPG stuff I want to publish. And Ian took the time to talk with me, and I straight up told him, I was like, I don't know what it costs to have art done. And so he started, like, walking me through the process and, and telling me, you know, how to go about that. And, you know, I know the people to talk to about artists and, you know, where, where to go to get art now. And I know that I can reach out to Ian, or I can reach out to Levi, or Skeeter, maybe even Zach, and get that information from them. They're going, like, you know, I, I, I know there are people who are, I can reach out to when I don't know what to do, or, you know, because I'm, I'm, I've never published a book of any kind. Uh especially not an RPG book, which is full of art, and, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't know... I don't know where to even begin. And Ian gave me a place to begin. Ian gave me some ideas about where to start, what to do first. So, you know, Ian, from the bottom of my heart, thanks, man. That meant a lot. And, you know, if this ends up being successful, if I'm able to actually put this out, uh, you know, I'll I'll have Ian to thank for it, and I'll have Levi to thank for it. Be and, you know, I'll have all these people who I had on the show, uh, you know, to, to thank for, you know, helping me get to where I'm ending up, or where I end up, wherever that may be. Hopefully not, like, in the gutter. Because they'll be hearing my thanks at that point. If I'm ever laying in a gutter and, you know, cursing Skeeter Green with my last breath, I'm sure I'll be in the same place as several people who have come before me. It'll probably be because of something I said to Skeeter. Because that's how it seems to go. But, anyway. Uh, once again, just, you know, thank you to everyone who took the time to talk with me, to hang out with me, and to play in my games and to, you know, put up with me at the table. I uh, am, am super excited to, you know, move things forward uh, with this show and, 
you know, with future projects. And speaking of future projects, a couple things I want to talk about here at the uh, the end of our time. Uh, first and foremost, uh, let's address next week. Next week, Seth Skorkowski is coming back. He is going to be back on Rolling Bones. This time he's bringing John Hook with him, his co-host for Modern Mythos. We're going to be talking about all about that new project, and I'm going to be holding their feet to the fire about coming to North Texas next year because uh, it's right there. I'm pretty sure Seth doesn't even need a hotel for that. Why not, dude? Come on. Let's do this. And then the week after that, I've got uh, Ion King from Planet X Games. We'll be reviewing that. We'll be reviewing Dungeon Crawl Classics. Uh, at some point, we're going to do a makeup interview with Ben Barsh. Uh, we'll figure that out. Just kind of as it comes. And at some point, uh, Spencer Campbell is probably going to be coming back on to talk about Nova, his new project. So we've got a lot of that coming down the pipe, and I'm also going to be doing episodes related to the game that I'm working on, or the setting, system, not system, setting that I'm working on. So I'll be doing videos kind of in and around that and you know, showing you guys some of the work that I'm doing while I talk about different elements that I'm looking to address uh, with my particular book that I'm putting out. So, you know, that'll be, that'll be fun to see. I hope you guys are, are, you know, interested in stuff like that. Painting is going to be coming back in July. Uh, June's been slammed. Uh, I've barely even had time just, like, to paint for fun. Uh, like, I've got three-quarters finished Dr. Octopus over here, over my shoulder, and then I've got my, uh, people call it the pile of shame, minus two drawers of shame of unpainted miniatures. So, uh, <laughs> I'll be working my way through that. But, yeah, and the, the last thing I want to talk about, um... And, you know, I'm glad that Prax is here uh, so we can talk a little bit about this. I've, I've approached uh, Prax and Rez about this uh, from Gamertarians. Looks like Prax just saw that there uh, as far as the email goes. And I've also approached uh, John and Joe Page about doing uh, a couple sessions or, you know, like one to three sessions of a game streamed here on, on this channel uh, you know, where, where I'm GMing them in 5th edition, uh, you know, working through, it, it'll be a lot of stuff related to my campaign setting, uh, so we'll be working through that world, kind of, you know, getting you guys immersed in it, seeing, you know, what, what all's going on there. Uh, so as long as schedules work out, uh, that's something I'm looking forward to doing as well. And then, of course, uh, my collaboration... Uh, with Shag and with the Spoken Token podcast is still going down. Uh, so, you know, schedules permitting, you guys will start to see fruits of that soon. Uh, once we go offline here, I'll, I'll talk with, uh, with Prax a little bit uh, to see if we can, uh, we can get this thing rolling. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, uh, you know, what the next few months hold as far as uh, content. Uh, as far as getting my name out there, a the couple new people have dropped in here in the live stream. Uh, I know a couple people have subscribed on YouTube, both from 
meeting me at the convention and from, uh, you know, my Professor Dungeon Master interview, which was great for me. Uh, a lot of people really turned out for that one. So, guys, you know, thank you, and, and I hope you keep, I hope you stick with me there. Um, so things are taking, sorry, things are taking off here. And, you know, it's my hope that, you know, the game hole con's coming up in October. I'm examining the possibility of going to that one, too. Uh, that'll be a bigger con. So, you know, it'll be, it'll be good to get my name out there. But, you know, again, we'll, we'll see what comes of that. Um, hopefully I'll be able to make that work, though. But yeah, that's, uh, you know, that was my weekend at North Texas RPG Con. That's what is coming out of this weekend. Uh, we got some great stuff on the horizon. Now that I've played DCC and MCC, I can review Scientific Barbarian from Jim Wampler. I've got those books back there. So I'll be looking at those, too. So yeah, we've got a lot of cool stuff coming up. Uh, I appreciate you guys sticking with me thus far. Next week, Seth Skorkowski and John Hook will be here on Rolling Bones. It'll be a ton of fun. And until then, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I'll see you next time.